Good morning. Today's scripture reading starts in Jeremiah 15, verses 15 to 21, and it's on page 547 in your pew Bible. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words come, came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me, and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me if you utter worthy, not worthless words. You will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. It will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. And going to Psalms chapter 26 and page 393 in your pew Bible, verses 1 through 8. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, excuse me, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling all of your wonder, wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. The word of the Lord. Anybody else tired? It's been a long week. I've had a whole week of school already, and I'm tired. <laughs> um, when I was uh, looking at scriptures for today and looking at the pastor's title, What Can the Righteous Do? When I looked at the Jeremiah and the Psalms, it sounded like one thing. And when I looked at Romans, it sounded kind of like a little bit of another thing. Okay, so I'm not off track. Good. All right. Well, I wasn't too crazy about the first two, so we're going to go with Romans because that's a good one for me. Um, so those of you that know me know that you rarely see me without something in my hand that has a straw in it. I like to drink things with a straw. And that's a great thing. Straws are great things. They can really help you out. You know, you don't have to get your mouth on a glass and all that, and you can, you know, reuse the straw. This one's actually a really cool one. It changes color. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I also have a problem that some of you may not know is that I like to sit in my reclining sofa. 
And so I sit, I put my feet up, and I relax. And then when I try to drink from my cup with a straw in it, it don't work. I end up spilling it all down me because, well, the straw is kind of like, I have to go like this, and then it all just kind of falls out. So that's a problem, right? Yeah. So I have this other kind of straw that really makes it work. It bends. So when I put that straw in there, I don't have to tip the cup. I can just lean back and suck on the straw, right? And that's a pretty good thing. It's handy. I don't know what this straw cares, whether or not it has to bend or not to help me out. But I, when I was looking at the Romans passage, I'm thinking, you know what? Some of those things that we're supposed to be doing might make us have to bend a little bit. Because sometimes when we have to do things for other people, we don't necessarily want to do that. We want to stay nice and straight and do our thing the way we're supposed to do it. But sometimes we're called to bend a little bit, go the extra little bit to help somebody else who needs something. Um, maybe share something with them. Uh, you know, your coworker forgot to bring their lunch, so you share some of yours, or you give them some money so they can go get some lunch. Okay, that's a little bend in the straw there. Or somebody's in a hurry when you're driving and they're beeping the horn, trying to get ahead of you, and you pull over, you bend out of your way a little bit so they can go on their way. That never happens to anybody, right? Happens to me all the time. Stafford Street is slow going when you're stuck behind somebody that's slow going, which is usually me. So people sometimes want to go around me, and that's fine. I'll pull over and let them zip on past me and hope that there's a police car ahead that's going to say, whoops. <laughs> no, I don't really do that, but sometimes, especially if they've been on my tail. But sometimes we need to bend. We need to give people time. A lot of times we, me, guilty, have a one-track mind. I've got to do this, 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 and this. Well, somebody over here needs my help. No, but I've got to get this done. But sometimes when I bend and go out of my way to help this person over here, I find out that I have a whole lot more time to get all this other stuff done, and I'm not stressed out about it. Because God has this way of taking time and using it the way God wants it to be used. And if that means taking a bend to go help someone, somehow or other, I still am going to get everything done that I have to do. And I think that this passage talks about um, honoring others above ourselves. And that doesn't mean we have to put ourselves down and say, oh, I'm just so awful, I'm such a bad person. But I think it means that we need to show others how much we care for them and appreciate them and love them and give them our time, give them of our resources. But most importantly, tell them about Jesus. And sometimes that's hard for us to do too. Sometimes we don't want to talk to other people about Jesus because we don't think they're going to understand or they're not going to like us anymore. And so we don't want to bend and tell them. So I think that just remembering to bend and be flexible because God's going to use us in a lot of different ways, ways that we might not even think. We might think we're doing something, and he's using us for another way. So staying flexible, staying available, putting others above ourselves, 
And most of all, loving, I think, is what we're called to do. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us all a mission. You've called us to do things, to be loving and caring, to share your word, to share ourselves, our means, with others. So help us to remember to bend, to not be so focused on the straight and narrow that we think we're supposed to be doing or the stuff that we think we have to check off on our list. But help us to be flexible and open to your leading so that you can use us. In Jesus' name, amen. What? Oh, Romans 12. It's the, actually, it's the responsive reading. It's Romans 12, 9 to 20-something. Yeah, sorry. Heavenly Father, we know that we can't achieve peace ourselves, but we know that you are the one who brings us peace, and so we do ask that we will be peacemakers in the world by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will help us as we hear your word today and um, wrestle with it together, that you will give us clarity and hope and new ways forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, we've been talking about this shipwreck, right, for the last few weeks, and just to recap, because what we've really been talking about is salvation, and we're calling it rescue, and, the, and we've been using as an analogy, or a little word picture, this idea that everybody, the whole world is basically a shipwreck, and Jesus is the Savior, and he's going around on his ship, there's room for everybody on it, somehow. And he's rescuing us if we let him. He came down to be with us first in our wreck. And because of that, he can rescue us to be with him on the ship. And, now, and then once we're on the ship, we're learning a new way of operating because you have to know how, you have to get your sea legs and you have to know how to make the ship do all the things that ships do. I've, this is going to fall apart because I don't really don't know that much about ships, but, you know, I've been reading books, and apparently there's a lot of things. Anyway, um, and last week we talked about how we have to actually also get along with all the other people on the ship that are rescued like us, because we all came from the same place, and um, sometimes that can be tricky. And so that's actually why I chose the other two passages and not the Romans passage to mostly focus on today. Um, but hang on to this bulletin because this passage from Romans is really good with like practical, this is what you should do with other people. Primarily, Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking in this passage about um, how to interact with your brothers and sisters in the church, but it actually also applies to how we should interact with everybody. And so keep that in your mind as we talk about Jeremiah mostly today. Um, but first I gotta tell you, this boat analogy is gonna fall apart today unless we kinda do what I talked about a few weeks before this where we kind of talk about sci-fi parallel universes but they're like 
happening overlaid with each other. So we could be on this boat that's somehow also overlaid on the world, but it gets really complicated. So here's why this isn't going to work anymore. We're rescued, and we're in Jesus' boat, and we're cooperating with Jesus in his rescue mission, and we're learning to think and act like him so that we can all work well together. But also, at the same time, we're living among the shipwrecked people. Right? Sometimes, there are even shipwrecked people in buildings like this. Still. So, so this is where the analogy falls apart. The realities of the shipwreck are still everywhere around us, and sometimes still, even if we're rescued, still a little bit in us. And so the challenges of living the rescue ship life in, among the people who are still shipwrecked are two. There are two main challenges. The first one is, we're surrounded by people who are still, to quote last week's Roman pa Romans passage, still conformed to the pattern of this world. They haven't yet learned the pattern of Jesus' world. They haven't yet learned how to think like Jesus thinks and respond like Jesus responds. And we haven't learned it yet perfectly either. So we can sometimes find it a little tricky to be among these people who are still living in the pattern of this world when, we're, when we haven't quite retrained our own patterns. The second challenge is that sometimes when we try to be faithful to the rescue ship life, or more specifically to our rescuer and his way, it doesn't always seem to pay off the way that we expected. And so figuring out how to respond to that can be hard. I was listening to a podcast that's new to me a couple weeks ago. It's called Ministry Misfits. And they were talking to Dr. Scott McKnight, um, who's a very pastoral theologian. That means he cares about people, not just ideas. And he was talking about Revelation, which I didn't realize, but apparently he's sort of an expert in. And they were talking about how in the book of Revelation, there's this picture that John, who wrote Revelation, keeps going back and forth between these two images of, of this, these two different kingdoms. And one is the kingdom of the dragon. And we've called this, in previous sermon series, we've called it empire. Sometimes the Bible refers to it as Babylon or Babel or Rome. That's the dragon's empire. And then, and, and the dragon is ferocious, and the dragon is all about power and making people do things the dragon's way. But God's kingdom in Revelation is the kingdom of the lamb, not just the lamb, but the lamb who was slain. So that's a completely different approach. I'm sure you can agree. <laughs> um, the lamb who was slain, a lamb is a fairly helpless animal, and it was killed. Jesus, our rescuer, is the lamb who was slain. And yes, he was resurrected, and yes, he defeated death, 
And yes, he is going to win. The book of Revelation is all about how he's going to win, but the point of the book of Revelation is he doesn't win using the dragon's methods. And so, this is the challenge of living his life in this world where the nature of the shipwreck is everyone for himself and let me get as much power as I can and even if I'm helping people, there's still something about it that's for me. On the podcast that I was listening to, they talked about how so many of us who love Jesus and try to follow Jesus these days are trying to establish his kingdom here and now, but sometimes we get sucked into the dragon's way of establishing the kingdom. And we act not like we belong to the lamb who was slain, but like we belong to the dragon. The point of Revelation is that eventually the lamb who was sacrificed, who was slain, and his way of doing things and thinking about things and seeing things, eventually his way will overcome the dragon's way. His way is the way of righteousness. We keep coming back to that word in this series, too. Does anyone remember what righteousness means? This is really depressing, guys. <laughs> um, righteousness in the Bible means both moral goodness and uprightness and social justice. So it is about how I behave in myself, in my relations to people, but also about how we treat everybody the way that, they should, that we would like to be treated, how they should be treated. Um, so it is related to the golden rule. Um, okay, so I'll make some specific examples. That is the same thing, yes, actually. But typically in the United States right now, there are churches that will focus on let's make sure that everybody is living the way they should be sexually. And then there are other churches who are focused on let's make sure all the poor get fed and that racism isn't happening and that kind of thing. And the Bible's version of righteousness is both those things and all the other things that are connected. So when I say moral uprightness versus social justice, it is you can actually read the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5 through 7, and basically get what all of that means, all-encompassing, because he talks about um, relational faithfulness, and he talks about anger, and he talks, but he also talks about judging people and and caring for people, and the and the works, the good works that you do, and and all of those things. So yeah, it basically it's goodness, it's God's way. But typically, I pointed out multiple times because typically churches tend to focus on one side or the other, when really, like you said, it's all supposed to be part of the part and parcel of the same thing. So, if we are going to be righteous people, if we're going to ask this question, that's the title of the sermon, what can the righteous do, we need to be thinking in terms of, we're trying to be like the lamb who was slain, morally pure and 
dust. And how can we do that in this shipwreck of a world? In a shipwrecked world, we are surrounded by moral depravity and oppressive injustice. What do we do, not just with people who are immoral or oppressive, but take it a step further, people who are actively opposed to the way of Jesus. They're not saying live and let live. Go ahead, Ray. Okay, that's really good. Sometimes, though, it gets hard to do that because we're still trying to figure out what the example is, right? (laughs) What are we supposed to do when we try to live faithfully, like Jeremiah in this passage and like David in the psalm, and God doesn't seem to come through? That's another thing. What if we're leading by example and we're just getting beat on all the time and nobody's changing their minds and it's, and God, hey, aren't we supposed to, I'm doing the things. (laughs) Hello, where are you? Aren't you the rescuer here? Okay, we're going to get there. Maybe, maybe that, yeah, okay. So, what can the righteous do? Let's talk about Jeremiah. Very basic overview of Jeremiah, which is a super long book. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament right before the people of Judah, so God's people split into two kingdoms in Israel. The kingdom of Israel had already been taken into exile and sort of annihilated because they had intermarried with their the people that captured them and, and stuff. And Judah was on this brief rail to the same thing because they were not being righteous. And so God called Jeremiah as a very, very young man, maybe a kid, and said, okay, look, I've called you. I have some words for you to give the people. And you're not going to get married. And turns out nobody's going to listen to you. Um, Enjoy. (laughs) Jeremiah's message was not popular because what he was basically saying was, yep, you guys have been so unfaithful to God that Babylon is going to come, they're going to take over, and you should just go with them. And when you get to Babylon, you should seek the good of the place that you are. So, you can imagine, this was not a popular message, either to hedonists, who like to just make themselves feel good, and anything goes, whatever, if it feel good, feels good, do it. That, it wasn't popular to them, and it also wasn't popular to nationalists, who were like, why are you saying, we're God's people. Hi, we're God's people, we have the temple here, God's here, Nothing's going to happen to us. Babylon is evil. They, you're being treasonous. So, this is Jeremiah's life, pretty much his whole life. And he has some actual persecutors. These aren't people that are just ignoring him. They actually, if you read the book, there's like prophecies interspersed with stories, and it's not all in order, and it's kind of confusing. But anyway, but he does get 
persecuted. He gets his writings ripped up. He gets um, put in a well for a while. All kinds of crazy stuff happens. He has very little control over his own life. And his persecutors are coming from two fronts. They're the party animals who aren't interested in doing the work of being God's people. And there are the people who are more interested in preserving their nation's status than hearing what God has to say to them. How do we respond when we find ourselves surrounded by people who not only aren't on the same page as we are about our faith, but actually oppose the page that we're on and are trying to cut pieces off of it, like the king did in Jeremiah, and throw it into the fire? So what does Jeremiah do? He does a couple things in this passage. First of all, he goes to God and he says, God, I know you understand this. This is kind of amazing because this is before Jesus, so God hadn't come in person and had the same experience happen to him and hadn't been hung up on a cross yet, but somehow Jeremiah has faith that God gets it. And then... He says, you get it, so now I'm going to tell you off. (laughs) Do you remember how I got here? It's your fault. You're the one who told me to do this. You gave me these words, and they were great, and I was like, yeah, and then I was talking, saying them, and I've been been really good. I haven't gone out to the parties, and I, I haven't gotten married, and I haven't had a family, and I haven't bought my own property, and I haven't done these things for that one time. Um, Well, he did have to buy property as part of a prophecy, but not in a normal way. Um, So he expresses his, his righteousness to God. He's actually done everything God has told him to do, which is not always the case with us, right? But he's actually done it. And then he expresses his disappointment to God. And it was interesting to me when Tom was reading this passage this morning because So the Pew Bibles are the older version of the New International Version translation thing, and that Bible is the same version, but it's a few years newer. So they've done a little bit more translation work. And I didn't write down which verse this is, but in the Pew Bibles, they frame this as a question, but the newer Bible seems to think that Jeremiah is actually saying to God, You are, to me, like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. He's basically saying, God, I did all the things, and I was even happy to do all the things, and it's not paying off. And I'm mad. You lied, God. Yeah. But then, he listens to God. He gets all of it out, and then he listens. We do our rescuer a great disservice if we do not tell him what is actually in our hearts. The good, the bad, and the ugly. If we don't tell him what we're experiencing, even how we're experiencing him, even if it's bad, we do our creator and ourselves a disservice. But we also do our creator and ourselves a disservice if we don't give him a chance to respond. So 
there we can there's a whole lot of people that I know that I've worked with over the years that are like, oh, I'm not mad at God. I would never say that to God. I can't, no. And I understand that they say that because they're trying to be respectful, but we have a personal God who wants to be in relationship with us, and relationships don't work if you're not telling each other the truth. So that, so tell God the truth, but let him respond, because relationships don't work if you don't allow that either. This takes humility again. This is where we need to be humble again. Jeremiah says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you, can, you will be my spokesman. So, yes, God tells Jeremiah to repent. And some of it is probably repent from calling me a liar because I'm not. God, I'm not a liar. <laughs> God does not lie. Um, but I don't hear this as much of God like being mad at Jeremiah for expressing himself. I think it's more like God is saying, you're all tied up in knots because the people that I sent you to aren't repenting, but that was never your job. You repent. You worry about your own repentance. You worry about your relationship with me. And utter the words I gave you. Just be faithful to what I gave you. Not if you get the people I sent you to to repent. Jeremiah just got done saying that's all he's been trying to do, and it's not working. And God's saying, I never promised that to you. That was not, this, that was not the deal. I didn't lie. I never said I was going to do that. Keep speaking the worthy words, not the crazy words you're talking right now, the words that used to be sweet to you, Keep speaking those words and worry about our relationship. And as long as you're being faithful, I'll worry about those other people. Part of why Jeremiah is so upset is because if he's going to go through all this, at least let it seem like the words are making a difference. And let me say this. I really resonate with that. Sometimes, this is like, this feels like the story of my life. When I went to London, I worked there for five and a half years, and when I came back, it felt like God was just like, okay, thanks, bye. And I didn't see anybody come to Christ, and I tried to witness to people here, and it didn't look like that was making any difference. And I was just like, what am I even doing? And I didn't want to hear, which people were always telling me, you're, just, you're, you're planting seeds. Oh, stop with the planting seeds. <laughs> I want to see some fruit. So let me just say, I relate to this. I understand this. I get that it's hard to just be like, you worry about you, and I'll take care, God says, I'll take care of everybody else. I get that that's hard, but I do think that that's what God is saying. God is inviting Jeremiah to reset their relationship. You repent, he says. Turn around. Repentance means turning around. 
So you're going this way, and then you're going the total opposite way. And so God is saying, don't repent of the things, your righteousness. Obviously, you've been doing all the right things, but your heart has not been in the right place while you're doing the right things. Turn around from your sulking. Turn around from this being all about you. Turn around about from about who, like, some special whatever that you think you are. And when you turn around, you will be my spokesman, God's spokesman. God had not promised Jeremiah that the people's ways would change, but he had promised Jeremiah relationship with him and purpose for his life. I think I've told you this before, but after my years and years of sulking at, and being mad at God, and trying to tell people about Jesus and not seeing any fruit and stuff. Um, in 2021, one of my friends from 15 years before that I used to talk to about Jesus all the time, probably not in the most gracious way, um, got in touch with me and told me that he had accepted Christ. God does this kind of thing, but it was not up to me. I was just supposed to say the words God gave me. And I probably could have said them better, but God still did the thing. So I think this is something that is worth contemplating when we feel like the life God rescued, ours, our life, and the way it's playing out is not worth the effort that we're putting in. Because it does feel like that sometimes. If Jeremiah felt like that, and he's in the Bible, I guess it's not that surprising that we might feel like that. Most of us will come to a point at least once in our rescued life with God where we feel something like this. And God, I think, kind of loves it when we get to this point. Because this is the point where we can't do the thing anymore. Jeremiah could not sustain the ministry he was doing. He couldn't keep going in his own strength. He was speaking the words God had given him, but it's kind of like he was doing it and for God. And God is inviting him to do it with him. This happens to people in the Bible all the time. Jeremiah, Elijah, Peter, Abraham we talked about, Jacob we talked about, and me. And maybe it's happened to you too, where you get to the end of yourself you do not have the resources inside, outside, anywhere, and it has to be God. And then God's like, great, now we can do the thing. Thank you for your service up to this point, but this is where I really want to do. Now we can do this together. And when God calls us back to what he called us to do in the first place, but with a different goal which is himself and not some outcome, then the way and the why and the how we do it will change. And this means that why we interact with our opposers changes too when we get to that point. The way that we interact with them becomes more like the lamb's way, and less like the dragon's way. 
Remember last, maybe, this is a year ago, so maybe not, but last fall, we talked about the book of Ephesians, and at the end of Ephesians, there's this passage about spiritual warfare and putting on the armor of God, and at one point, the Apostle Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and I remember pointing out in in the sermon about this that we do put something on our feet spiritually. It's the good news of the gospel of peace. Peace. In the whole description that Paul gives of the armor, even and us fighting together, we are in a battle for sure, but we're not on the offensive. It is not the Christian's job to go and be obnoxious and tell people that they're wrong about things, and that kind of thing. Just stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the truth of Jesus Christ. It is for us in this battle to stand firm with Jesus rather than fight people into submission to what we think his way is. Sure, we need to to go into the world and make disciples, but making disciples doesn't mean making victims or making captives. Making disciples means encouraging more people to become like Jesus, like we're trying to be. God says to Jeremiah, let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. And this could mean, let them turn and oppose you. Let them. Or it could mean, let them turn to you, And listen to you. Let them. If Jeremiah stands firm, either of those two things can happen, but Jeremiah is still firm. You keep firm, he says, with what I've given you. Be gracious and steadfast, and don't let their response or their lack of it change you. Don't let the way they act make you legalistic and harsh, And also, don't let it make you like them. Be steadfast with Jesus. I will make you a wall to this people, God says to Jeremiah, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue you and save you, says the Lord. I am with you to rescue you and deliver you. Just like he was with us at the beginning. And just like he will always be with us to rescue us and save us. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel, he says. Our rescuer does understand, just like Jeremiah said. He entered this shipwrecked world himself, and he was steadfastly loyal to the Father with both immoral people and unjust people. Even he, even Jesus, our rescuer, the Son of God, cried out to his Father to rescue him, to take this cup from him. Isaiah says, He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. He submitted both to the wicked and the cruel, and he died, but he came back to life. His life, his death, his resurrection are the very thing 
that rescued us. So, we should not be surprised if we go through similar things to what our lamb who was slain went through. And we should respond to the people around us, even if they are breathing fire at us like the dragon, we should respond to them like lambs. Maybe one day they will turn to us and in doing so turn to him and be rescued too. So what can the righteous do? Be like Jesus, the lamb who was slain, steadfast even when it requires self-sacrifice because he rescued us and will continue to. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that we don't deserve your rescue. And we also know that we are beloved by you. And you are so delighted to rescue us. And you do want to use our lives to be the, the light, the example, um, the motivation that helps you to rescue others. But Lord, thank you that we don't have to do it on our own, and we actually can't, um, but it is through you and doing everything that you give us to do with you. We pray that um, as we fellowship around your table, that we will have a greater sense of the Lamb who was slain.